Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. This episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast is sponsored by Heartland. As a point of sale dealer, you're constantly challenged by your retail and restaurant clients to provide them with systems that help them operate in a digitally on the channel world more profitably and competitively. Heartland provides you 100% cloud solutions with secure, reliable, cost-effective POS solutions that your clients demand and a partnership that helps you grow your business. Heartland is committed to full disclosure and fair dealings with its business partners, and they're invested in your success. Heartland shares referrals, offers competitive margins, and provides tools and resources that help dealers gain visibility in their market to win deals. Heartland is actively recruiting new partners, so to become a Heartland dealer, go to heartland.us forward slash become hyphen a hyphen dealer forward slash rspa that's heartland.us forward slash become a dealer with slashes or with uh, dashes in between the words forward slash rspa all right in this episode we'll focus on how to steer your team towards reading and ultimately professional success with a very special guest Jeff Brown is host of the world-renowned Read to Lead podcast, and he just co-authored a book under the same name. For those uh, watching us on YouTube, you can see it right here. Uh, the book Read to Lead, The Simple Habit. Very good. Jeff has his own book as well. I would kind of expect uh, that he would. Uh, Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. Read to Lead, the podcast, has been recognized by Inc. Magazine, iTunes, and HubSpot as a top business podcast. And Jeff is attracted to his show, famous best-selling authors such as John Maxwell, Seth Godin, Simon Sinek, Daniel Pink, Brian Tracy, Liz Wiseman, Stephen M. R. Covey, and many, many more. And I got to be honest, if Jeff wasn't such a darn nice guy, I would be super intimidated right now after reading his resume. Jeff Brown, welcome to The Trusted Advisor. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, wonderful to have you here. Uh, it's our honor. Very, very rarely do we go outside the RSP community to bring in a special guest, uh, but you certainly earned earned that. And I'm sure at the end of uh, our episode today, folks will understand uh, why we brought you on board. So, Jeff, can you first give our audience the backstory on your journey to becoming an evangelist for intentional reading and professional development? You haven't been like a lifelong stereotypical bookworm. Yeah, I started out as one as a young kid uh, with mom reading to me and getting me excited about reading, as, as many of us can uh, probably attest to. We experienced as, as children, all of us, many of us. Uh, but then school happened. And if I'm being honest, uh, my school experience was such that it sort of, as I like to put it, educated out of me the desire to want to read and want to learn. And uh, though others' experiences may be different than mine, I was at a place at school, the way school and education is often structured, where I was constantly having to learn about things I had no interest in. And so when I left school and I did go to college and I bounced around to a few colleges trying to figure that out too, um, I, I left college uh, being thankful that I didn't have to learn anymore, as silly as that sounds, being thankful that I didn't have to read books any, anymore. My, my entire uh, 20s, the entirety of my 20s, I spent not doing any of either of those things because school had so conditioned me not to enjoy learning and not to enjoy reading. Uh, but then um, I did have uh, sort of a, a, a reawakening uh, of that desire that was in me as a kid to read 
when I was working for a company and had a great leader, uh, a mentor of mine who introduced me to an author, uh, one of whom you mentioned uh, a moment ago, Seth Godin, and a book called Purple Cow. And, and, and that book came to me sort of serendipitously at a time when I really needed what was in that book. And it was eye-opening for me. I did not realize just the extent of books that were out there in the world. I didn't realize that if I have a problem I'm trying to solve, that I don't have to, to reinvent the wheel. Somebody else has already solved it. And oftentimes they've written about it in a book. I, I didn't know that. I was 33 before I learned that. And so that was revelatory to me. And that began a, a journey for me as a voracious reader. That was 22 years ago. And um, I saw books, uh, and not just reading books, but taking what I was reading and putting it into action along the way, just completely altered, Jim, the trajectory of my career to the point that at that last job where I had that wonderful mentor, I was promoted, I think, six times in a dozen years, um, got to do some pretty exciting things um, uh, for that company for the time that I was there. And every bit of it, I attribute to that journey. Now that I've interviewed, as of last week, 400 authors as part of my show, virtually, and you being one of them, virtually every one of those uh, folks um, considers that habit as key as I do and, and, and attributes that habit of intentional and consistent reading to a lot of their uh, success. So my job these last eight plus years doing the podcast and now with the book by extension is just to evangelize as many people as I can who aren't reading to give me four chapters, give me part one of the book, and let me convince you otherwise. Or if you're already uh, reading on a regular basis, let me help you uh, retain more, um, comprehend better, read more in less time, that sort of thing. Yeah, and Jeff, I love hearing that story because oftentimes I run into people, like I'm now an avid book reader, and that group mm -hmm. tends to be smaller than the people who aren't. But the people who aren't, they're almost like, well, we aren't and we never will be right but you can make that change and that's that's what your book uh, helps to do and that's kind of you know i got started by having a mentor you know unofficially steer me into that i was actually at an rspa event rspa inspire back in 2006 mark olson was the president of apg cash for he uh, recently retired i had just been named president of jameson publishing business solutions magazine mark had been a successful president for 20 years and i asked him like what's the secret and he talked about mm -hmm. people but then he said books and i was thinking like man, I was hoping for like an easier shortcut uh, in order to do that. But, you know, that kind of got me moving and got me going with it. So I guess my question for you is what, what advice would you have for leaders, you know, to start not just themselves, but really to start their team down the path of reading books that will improve their knowledge, their skills and their performance? Because initially it's not like we have a book club and everyone's like, great, I've been waiting for one. People are like, Ugh, mm. don't want to do it. Well, what suggestions would you have? What first steps should leaders take to build up their team? Yeah, we've got a chapter in the book, the last chapter, all about starting uh, or joining a book club. So we definitely have some advice on that. I was just talking with an HR uh, professional at a company that I'm working with or hope to be working with soon uh, earlier today. And she was mentioning that they've had two book clubs in the past that started and fizzled. Um, and the best advice I have here for leaders who are wanting to instill this habit in their teams, and this I saw firsthand in that leader, that mentor I mentioned a moment ago, um, allow yourself as the leader to get caught, to be caught reading. Before you can expect to instill this habit in anyone else, they've got to catch you doing it. And I mean that almost literally in the sense that I remember that mentor of mine, I used to, 
in my mind, at least catch him reading and thinking to myself, he's goofing off. He's not working. What is he doing reading on the job? It hadn't occurred to me at that point in my career that he might be reading to better himself as a leader, to better himself as, as a mentor, to better himself in, in all these different ways. And, and, and I brought it up one time to him and he, and he set me straight and I realized, oh, wait a second. He, he doesn't have all the answers. He recognizes he doesn't ha have all the answers and he reads to remain humble because reading consistently and intentionally reminds you that of what you don't know, <laughs> you know, you're constantly reminded of all the things you don't know, but he wants to get better. He wants to improve. And that's when my mind started opening up to the idea of, well, maybe all that school experience, I need to set that aside for a second and give books a chance. So, so the catalyst for me was seeing him doing that and it piquing my curiosity. He went so far too, he took another step and I would recommend this to, to anyone listening, is he would encourage us to set aside time at our desk at work, just like he did, to read. You never had to worry about somebody walking by your desk as I did with him and, and looking in on you reading and assume you must be, must be goofing off. Now, if you were reading comic books or if you were reading you know, right. Lord of the Rings or something, that somebody might have something to say. But as long as you were reading you know, a book about personal professional development or leadership or something um, you know, specific to your industry or your particular place in it, then that was encouraged. And so I think it's important for leaders to understand that those two things in particular are very important and need to proceed uh, any attempts at, at formalizing any sort of book club or anything like that. Because unless they've seen you do it first and practicing it without any pressure on them to do so, they're not likely to, to just want to embrace the idea of now having to do it as part of their, their job because you, you say you want to start a book club. I love it. And I think sometimes where when folks read, then they will bring into the workplace. Here's how we should do things completely differently. And everybody's like, so-and-so <laughs> uh, read a book. Now, and again, it seems <laughs> like it's because I've seen what other people do is they'll read the books. And then when somebody is doing something, they emphasize to say, man, you're doing that's so great that you did it. I actually read in a book and they call it this. Keep up the good work. And it's almost like the book is validating the good things as opposed to it being, you know, the like you said, the book of the month, the flavor of the month or things like that. I guess mm -hmm. what, what's your take? on that, Jim? Yeah, um, I think you have to give people a say in the, if you're going to do a book club, okay, you, the people need to have a say in what some of those books are. And I think um, it's important to not limit that to just business focused books. I know of one book club, very successful book club inside an organization that's referenced in my book that chose books that sort of speak to the whole person, books like The Five Love Languages, which is traditionally thought of as a relationship book, as a marriage-focused book. But the company uh, felt uh, uh, cared enough about their employees to give time inside a book club to books that were about just being a better human being, being a better partner to your spouse. And talk about endearing yourself to your employees when you show that you're not just interested in making them better employees, you're interested in making them better people. Mm -hmm. That will get your staff excited in a hurry. Got it. Great. I love that. And I know uh, when I visited Zappos one time, they just had a giant bookshelf with free books for all the employees. Like you said, it did cover a big range because step number one was get people reading, read something, then maybe they'll end mm -hmm. up reading 
something that, that's on your list. So, okay, so we start, talked about how to get started, but how do leaders sustain that habit within their organization, right? Like, how do they ensure that reading and professional development are really truly part of their culture, not just something that fades after a year, or again, the book club becomes, a, you know, something that employees resent, uh, it's time for us to do this thing again and, and cram it mm-hmm. in and feel like they're back in school. How do they sustain it? Well, one of the things I would recommend, and this is not just because I offer these services, you understand, but one of the things I would recommend is training, like like invest in personal and professional development training, invest in training that takes concepts from a book like mine and helps people actually put them into practice. We, we hinted at this a little bit before, you know, reading is kind of the first step. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge put into action is power. So any kind of training that you can provide to your staff, to your people that helps them take what they're learning, what they're reading, and then take the next steps of putting that into action and also giving them permission to fail, giving them the opportunity to try something, knowing that, okay, this might not work. That was one of the things that I did kind of naturally when I first began reading as a habit, I would take the things that I was learning and put them into practice. And I would find that some of those things would fail and some of those things worked really, really well. And the good part is in the environment that I was in at the time, the things that didn't work, the things that failed, people forgot pretty, pretty quickly. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't hung out to dry because of those things. There, there was, it was not the end of the world because something I tried didn't work. I, I was given permission to fail. But then when I tried things that did work, well, those things began to get me noticed. And I began to receive even more and more opportunities along the way. So if you can convince your people that they've got permission to fail, and that as they try things that they learn from books that are successful, more opportunities and more uh, uh, chances for recognition are, are, are going to be likely to come their way. God, I love how you say that. And one of the, my, my favorite stories is Thomas Edison Jr. when he was at IBM had a staff member who made a $2 million mistake. And we're not talking about $2 million mm-hmm. in 2021. We're talking about, you know, decades ago. And so Edison calls him in the office and the guy's thinking, I'm going to get fired. Here it is. And so Edison's just talking to him about work and the employee says, like, just get it over with. Why don't you fire me? And he said, why would I fire you? I just invested $2 million into your training, right? Like you're going to learn <laughs> from this and you're going to know uh, going forward. So yeah, you got to give your, your folks an opportunity to apply things and fail just like you did. I guess that's not, not you, yeah. Jeff, but I, to our listeners in terms of we've all made mistakes along the way and skinning our knees is an important part of development. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Um, no, I think did I did I read about did I read that story in your book? Did you share that story? Because that's that's I've heard that story before. I appreciate you sharing that. I, did I read that from your book, or was that somewhere else? It might have been somewhere else. It's been in a presentation that I've given uh, from time to time, oh, but uh, I maybe don't that believe was it. Was it. Maybe that... one of my books. Yep, love it. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely give people the opportunity and, and help them back up. Uh, no doubt about it. So well, and so, you know, we talked about getting started. We talked about what the employer can do, what the leader can do. Can you talk about because to me, it almost seems like ultimately the burden to enthusiastically embrace reading falls onto the individual, right onto the employee, onto you, onto me. And so I mentioned mm-hmm. Mark Olson or the first book that he recommended uh, that I read was The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. And one of Jack's higher laws of businesses was you got to want to right? So you got to want to develop yourself. Mm-hmm. Can you speak directly to those next-gen leaders, the folks who are saying, you got to want it, you got to pick up a book, you got to pick up a second book. Can you talk to our listeners and viewers who want to be leaders in the future? Where would you see that they should start if it's something outside of their current organization? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
you know, you brought up something that I want to hit on first, and 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 that's this idea that uh, the employee enthusiastically embracing this uh, desire to want to develop yourself. The problem is with so much of our of our world today in our country, and in part because we live in uh, on-demand, bite-sized chunk web generation versus the kind of world we lived in when books first came on the scene, you know, that they impacted our brains, evolutionarily speaking, in a, in a positive way. And I would say the last 25, 30 years, our brains have been impacted adversely uh, in, in, in the opposite direction. And it's really hard to focus for the time it takes to sit down and read a book. Um, and because of all the, the, these uh, ways of consuming content that we have at our fingertips now, and often in bite-sized chunks, um, it, it can be difficult to want to spend any ample amount of time learning. And, and by the way, another reason that's hard is because learning means admitting at least briefly that we don't know something which we're taught to avoid. And so it's easier to not learn and just get back to work, right? And the other thing about learning is um, we have to be able to want to change our minds or about reading in, in more specifically. If, if, if a book is gonna help us get somewhere we've been unable to get to on our own, then we have to be willing to change our minds about something. And so um, as far as where to start, I think uh, decide on a topic, uh, a discipline that fascinates you, and then drill down into, uh, identify and drill down into subtopics related to that topic or discipline. For example, um, early in my career, as I began experimenting with what I was reading and, and getting noticed, I got asked him to start doing presentations to share what I was learning from these successes that I was having. Well, I had never done any formal presenting before. So I recognized, oh, there's a skill I need to learn. Let me go back to books for learning and reading that skill. And this was, you know, before the days where you could go online and watch, you know, a thousand TED Talks and learn in that fashion. It was really books or, or little else. And so I created curriculums for myself, a short series of curriculums by taking the broader topic of public speaking and presenting and breaking it down into subtopics like uh, presentation delivery and presentation design and presentation uh, structure. And more recently, thanks to a book recommendation from you, uh, presentation humor. Uh, but early on in my career, I recognized that, well, you know, I'm nervous about public speaking. I'm a little afraid to do this. I hadn't found at that time any books specific to the fear of public speaking. And so I thought to myself, well, what would make me feel more confident? Well, I would be more confident if I was if I felt really good about my slides. Uh, that's how my brain worked. If If my slides were just out of this world, that would take the focus off of me for one thing, right? <laughs> and yep. I would feel more more confident in presenting. I would feel if I, if I felt good about them. So I read books like Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds, and I read uh, Slideology by Nancy Duarte, and and mastered to, at at that point in time uh, that level of mastery. My my presentation design. It's come further since then, but at, at that point in my career, I felt pretty good about my slides. Well, since then, I've read uh, Secrets of Dynamic Communication, a book on presentation. Uh, structure. I've read um, Steal the Show by Michael Porta, a book on presentation delivery. And I've read the book recommendation you gave me on Do You Talk Funny, on inflecting humor into your presentations. So that's just one example of how you could take a single topic and then create these little mini curriculums for yourself, maybe two or three books 
inside each little subgenre or subtopic. And reading two or three books on a single topic is, is going to mean that once you've read those books, you're not an expert. You've got to start experimenting and actually doing. But just by reading those books, you're already further along than the overwhelming majority of the population who haven't done what you did. That's why I saw books impact my career the way they did, because I, by just by nature of the fact that I was reading with intention and, 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 and consistently, I was doing something that virtually none of my colleagues were, and that gave me a huge leg up over them and the rest of the staff across the country in our, in our organization. Yeah, and I like a couple things you said there to, to build on. Uh, one is if you want a competitive advantage, do something that nobody else is doing or very few people are doing. And books are one of those things to do. And it's not like school where you get assigned. I mean, I remember getting Anna Karenina, like assigned to me like, oh my gosh, like talk about never wanting to ever read again. And I know oh, yeah. I brought that up to people and they're like, I liked Anna Karenina. I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't, like I just, I couldn't do it. So you get to choose uh, whatever you want in, in order to read. Mm. And also it might come as a shock uh, to some of our listeners like they might be thinking, Jim should go back and reread Do You Talk Funny um, in order to get better jokes and <laughs> integrate better humor in, into the podcast. So, well, let's take a quick break here and let's pause to share a couple things going on with the RSPA. First, the RSPA has launched the next generation of education for the Retail IT channel with RSPA Academy Accelerate. This online system offers continuous learning, training, and development opportunities anytime, anywhere, from any device. For more information on RSPA Academy Accelerate, visit learn.goRSPA.com. Org. I knew this commercial was coming. Jeff earlier talked about training. That's where you want to go. Uh, RSPA members can get a lot of free training from that. Upgrade a little bit and get some advanced training. Again, that's learn.goRSPA.org. Also, thanks to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Platinum sponsors are Blue Star and Shift 4 Payments. Gold sponsors are Heartland and ScanSource. Finally, don't forget to save the date for two special RSPA events in 2022. Inspire, the Retail IT Channel's premier leadership conference, January 23rd through 26th at the Wyndham Grand in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And Retail Now 2022, that's going to be July 24th through 26th at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. Two events you do not want to miss. Again, for more information on the RSPA for membership or sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. That's membership at gorspa.org. So Jeff, that was the RSPA's commercial. I have a few more questions for you, but right now, why don't you give a commercial of your own? Where can listeners find Read to Lead the podcast, the book, and all the other resources that you offer? Oh, thank you for that, Jim. I appreciate it. Uh, I made it very easy. So it's Read to Lead podcast. Dot com to find out more about the podcast and the almost uh, at this time I've done 400 interviews. I haven't published all those, but I've, I've completed 400. Uh, and then for the book, it's read to lead book.com. And you can actually download the introduction in the first chapter of the book for free when you go to read to lead book.com. So you can kick the tires and check out a, a portion of the book if you want to, before you actually pull the trigger and buy it, which you can also do at that website. Again, read to lead book.com and read to lead podcast.com. Fabulous. Wonderful. I've been a longtime listener uh, of the Read to Lead podcast. And again, I am a, a reader as well of, of Read to Lead. <laughs> uh, really enjoyed it. So and from the book, you know, a few passages really jumped out to me. And I think they're going to resonate with our audience. Jeff, I almost feel like I'm, I'm you know, stepping on your toes with this because this is how you do your show, right? Where you read the book and you ask <laughs> questions from it. So I'm doing my uh, my poor man's invitation uh, of you oh. here. So 
Um, and I'm hoping you can expand upon uh, some of these. So the first one that jumped out to me was it's every book you read doesn't need to be read word for word. There will be books you taste, others you swallow, and a few you'll chew on and digest. Uh, talk about that, please. Mm. Yeah, I think it's important to, when you sit down with a book, uh, you think about why you bought it, why you acquired it in the first place, and answer the question, what is it that I ultimately want to get from reading this book? And even consider writing the answer to that question down. Now, with that answer in front of you, go to the table of contents, scan it, read maybe the introduction and the conclusion, and note among the chapters in the book which ones by chapter title seem to speak directly to the reason you're reading it in the first place, that question you answered a moment ago, and give yourself permission to start with those chapters. It, it may not be chapter one, two, three, et cetera. Uh, with nonfiction, we can often read the chapters out of order, uh, you can, out of context from the other chapters. You can certainly do that with, with, with my book. Um, and so let's say you do that and you determine that, well, chapters six, seven, and eight really have the information I'm looking for. Let me start there. And then, and then read those chapters. And if upon reading those chapters, you've gained what you had intended to, to get from that book in that, in that answer you, you came up with, then you have permission to, to, to stop. You, you can put the book down at that point if you want to and move on to the next book. And I even give you permission to call that book you only read three chapters of, assuming you got what you wanted from it, a read book. You can go to your Goodreads account and say, yes, I read this book, even though it may not have been you know, uh, the whole book. And so that's what we mean when we talk about you know, some you'll taste, some you'll swallow, a few you'll chew and digest. Depending on what you find in that table of contents, you know, maybe you realize, well, gosh, really this whole book is getting at what I'm trying to, the problem I'm trying to solve. So I'm just going to start at the beginning. That's great. But with nonfiction, you don't necessarily have to. So just keep that in mind. And that's one way. Um, I get through books a little quicker. Like I usually read a book a week. Sometimes that means reading the book from cover to cover. Sometimes that means reading it to the extent I need to, to conduct uh, a decent interview for my podcast. Sometimes if, if it's a book about a specific problem I'm trying to solve, I do exactly what I just described. I look at specifically the chapters that are gonna to speak to the problem I'm trying to solve and start there. And, when, and weeks where that's happening, maybe more often than not, I might read two or three books in a week, but it's in part because I'm not reading them cover to cover. That's not always necessary with nonfiction. I hope our listeners and our viewers find that freeing because like you said, in school, we were learning, you know, we'd have to read and it'd be like, is this going to be on the quiz? Is this going to be on the quiz? And you were reading for this imaginary <laughs> test, but now you can read a book and just say, what do I want to get out of it? I got some things out of it. Great. Right. Or if you're partway through the book and you're like, this isn't, and I've actually just experienced that. I had a book. I won't say the name. It's like a, a well-known author and somebody finally convinced me to read it. And I was like two third, or I guess a third of the way through. And I was like, eh, just not for me. So there's no requirement. <laughs> Nobody's going to, you know, slap me on the hands in, in order to make sure I, I, I read the rest. Uh, I don't have to eat the vegetables. Um, you know, when I'm, uh, when you I'm bring up another book. good point there, Jim, um, you know, with, with books that aren't doing it for us, you know, I, when I start a book, if I'm not sure, whether or not it's going to be for me, I give it about 50 pages. And if by then it's not doing it for me, like you did, I, I let it go. I, I, some of us are completists. Many intentional and consistent readers tend to be completists and they start at the beginning and they feel like they got to finish it, whether they like it or not, they're going to swallow it like a bad pill. <laughs> but, I, but I love what you said there. Give it, give it a few pages, a few chapters. And if it's not doing it for you, 
Nobody's looking over your shoulder going, ah, you didn't finish. Give yourself, you know, life's too short to, to read books you don't like. So, so put it down and move on to the next one. And that's an argument too, for always knowing what is the next book going to be? Have, have your next read in the queue, if you will, so that that happens and, and, and you read a few pages and it's not doing it for you, you, you already know what you're moving to. You don't have to stop and say, okay, well now what am I gonna read? And that helps keep that habit uh, uh, consistent, uh, that reading habit consistent. Yeah, I agree. I just wish the professor for continental fiction agreed when I was reading Anna Karenina. Life's too short to spend time with books that you don't like. Um, hours of my life I'll never get back. All right, here's another quote from, from your book, a book that I do like. Uh, it says, if a book changed someone else's life and they recommend it, get it. Explore books recommended by people that you admire. Before I get your feedback on that, so 85 to 90% of the books that I read are recommended to me. The other 10 to 15% are like listening to a podcast uh, like yours or, or other mm -hmm. podcasts. And this is probably a good time for me to plug. Uh, it's going to be coming out right around time this podcast uh, drops called Roddy's Recommended Reading. This will be like our fourth uh, edition of it. It's going to be, I believe, close mm -hmm. to 150 books uh, at this point. So you can kind of see, you know, if folks want to go through that, they can start to see what books that I recommend. So I guess back to the, the quote from your book. And, and so like, is this what you think, uh, Jeff, is like the easiest way to find a meaningful book? You don't have to go on Amazon. You don't have to search all these different genres. Just ask some people. I'm looking to read on these couple topics and let people you know and trust and admire kind of screen them for you. Yeah, I think that's a great way. And that's, you know, you've just described what I've been trying to do for the last eight plus years is building trust with my listeners of the podcast enough to allow me to show them the way with regard to their next great read. That's what the Read to Lead podcast is all about. So yeah, I'm and I love recommendations. When I have uh, people like you, former guests from the show, want to recommend authors they think I should I should check out, you know, my my radar goes up. I'm I'm very attuned to that, especially when it's people that ad, that I admire. And I think uh, you'll you'll be less likely to to go wrong. Though you know, you mentioned a, an experience a moment ago where someone recommended a book to you and you finally gave it a chance and just wasn't doing it for you, that's going to happen. You know, that's, that's, sure. that's inevitable, but more often than not, uh, you're not going to be steered wrong when it's someone you admire and trust. And related to that, I would say, think about, uh, you know, well-known people that you admire, uh, more often than not books have been written about them. One of my, uh, favorite things to do in recent years, uh, is, when I study creativity is to read biographies about people from history who were themselves quite creative people. So, a uh, favorite author of mine in, in, in the biography genre is a guy by the name of Brian J. Jones. I think I've probably mentioned him to you before, but uh, he wrote a book uh, on the life of Dr. Seuss called Becoming Dr. Seuss, which I really loved. I, I was a Dr. Seuss fan as a kid. And, and then I since purchased Brian's uh, book, uh, Jim Henson. I was a huge Muppet fan as a kid as well and just loved the creativity of Jim Henson. And then he's also written a book called George Lucas, A Life. I'm a huge Star Wars fan as well. And so I've read about all three of those men and the decisions they made in their lives to become who they were, the, the adversity they overcame, all three men that I admire, especially for their creativity. And so think about not only accepting book recommendations from people you know that you admire, but who do, who do you admire that's well known? Has a book been written about them? And consider that sort of biography uh, or memoir uh, genre. Great. No, I, I love that. And like you said, that's going to help you determine 
where can you go as opposed to just some random search and, and who knows, almost like flipping through Netflix and seeing uh, what something is. It's better <laughs> off having a movie that's recommended to you from somebody who knows you. So, all right, another tidbit mm. from your book, Jeff. I agree with this one so strongly. I think I almost ruptured a disc nodding up and down <laughs> reading this one sentence. So you said, writing in your book or using flags activates your mind, helps you comprehend what you read, and is a great way to keep track of your ideas. I strongly encourage if folks just don't read a book and toss it off to the side, like you said, underline, make notes, flags, dictate your notes, right? Have something that you can refer to. Can you expand upon this point, please? Yeah, and, and it really sort of makes an argument. I like to make an argument for physical books over other ways of consuming books. Now, let me, let me uh, sort of uh, sort of do a preemptive strike for anyone who might <laughs> be saying, wait a second, Jeff, I, I, I only have time to listen to books. I don't have time to sit down. I get that. There was a season in my life where the only way I was going to read a book is if I listened to it on my commute because I didn't have time uh, or, or told myself, I would argue that I didn't have time to sit down and read a physical book. But I've read studies recently, and we talk about some of them in our book, um, that talk about the power of reading a physical book over even an ebook. There was one study that uh, took a particular uh, story. Uh, I don't remember the exact uh, book this is from, but um, tested people who read it on a Kindle versus people who read the physical book. And the people who read the physical book retained far more of the information once quizzed upon it than people who read um, the ebook. Um, and they concluded that there, you know, this sort of uh, haptic, uh, tactile feedback that you get from um, a physical book doesn't exist on a Kindle, right? And so there's there's not this same support for uh, mental reconstruction of the story as a as a print book book would would arguably uh, provide. Our brains originally, and I hinted at some of this earlier, were not designed for reading. When books first came on the scene, they impact not just what we think about, but how we think. But our brains have adapted and created new circuits to understand letters and texts. And, and the brain reads by constructing a mental representation of the text based on the placement of that text on the page in the book and the word itself on the page. So think about when you're, I don't mean to get too deep in the weeds here, but when you're reading a physical book and, and you come across something that reminds you of something you read previously in the book and you want to go back and find that previous passage instantly without you having to even process it, your brain in your mind creates an image for you in that moment. And that image is based on, well, what side of the page was that previous, or what side of the book, rather, was that previous passage I'm thinking about on? Was it the left side or the right side? Okay, it was the left. Now, where on the page was that? That was at the top, the middle, or the bottom. This tactile experience of a book, a physical book, aids the, this comprehension retention uh, uh, process. And so that's why I'm a big advocate for uh, physical books. You didn't ask about that specifically, but I think going along with what you were talking about with regard to, to marking and flagging, that obviously is a lot easier to do in a physical book. You can still highlight in, on a Kindle or bookmark, you know, an audio book, that sort of thing. But I really think you miss so many advantages, especially as it relates to comprehension and retention when you forego a physical book for some other uh, format. So when possible, now reading at all is a great first step, but when possible, choose a physical book. Right, and the thing that I do, Jeff, and I think we might have I might have shared this with you before, is I'll read a book, 
I'll uh, underline key passages. I'll set it aside. I actually have a pile of them down there. Folks watching on YouTube, that's my pile of stuff that I still need to <laughs> transcribe. Then I go back and transcribe it. And then I have to go back and edit it. And I print it, you know, in a Word document and then shove it into the book. I have it saved for future reference. By going through that repeatedly, like things really end up sticking with me. <laughs> Not perfectly, but then I've also got it as a, uh, as a reference. And then when people say, you know, they talk about some concept, I'm able to say, yeah, I think it was in that book. And I'm able to go back and do a search and, and things of that nature. If I mm. hadn't done that next step, I'd be like, yeah, it's in one of these books behind me, but who knows, <laughs> like good luck finding it. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's helpful for somebody who's asking me something. It's something that I'm trying to trying to find as well. So, all right, last point from the read to lead book. Here's the quote. It says the key to reading books is to make the time to read. Reading more isn't something that will happen by accident. Yeah, books don't crawl into your eyes or <laughs> audiobooks don't crawl into your ears. Uh, talk about mm -hmm. why did you say, why did you make that passage? Why did you say that in the book? And uh, can you expand upon that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, even as much as I enjoy reading, it's still something I recognize that if I don't protect it, if I don't protect that time, other things could easily take, take precedence or get in the way or interrupt. And so I go so far, I do this every morning, every weekday morning at least, and then at other points in certain days of the week where I actually set aside and schedule time to read. And by that, I mean schedule in my calendar, in, in my, my planner, just like I would any other appointment like this one or any other, other meeting that I would have. When we, when we put those things in our calendar, typically that time's protected. So, you know, someone else asks uh, to meet with me or help with something. And I see on my calendar that I've got something else booked. I look to that person and I say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not available that time. Can you choose another time? Well, if all we've done is decide well, in our minds, well, I'm going to read during that time, but we haven't put it on our calendar, we'll likely say yes to that thing when maybe we should have said no. But if I put it on my calendar and create an appointment around my scheduled reading time, I feel fine looking at that appointment on my calendar and going back to that person and saying what I just said. You know, I've got an appointment at that time. I, I, I can't do it then. Can we do it some other time? Can, or is this time uh, uh, work for you? An appointment with yourself, in other words, should be treated just as important as an appointment would be with somebody else. Now, if the moment requires or suggests that maybe we need to acquiesce, that's fine. But here's, here's what often happens is we often, when others ask for our help or time, we, we want to be, you know, a good person, a good friend, a good colleague. And, and what we end up doing is we default to yes. And if we say no, we feel like we have to defend that no to the other person, right? When I think what we should do is default to no. And if we're going to say yes, then be able to defend that yes to ourselves. And I think if more of us understood that concept, then this, this idea I hear a lot uh, from people, of you know, I, I would read more, I just don't have time to. The only reason you don't have time to is you you haven't yet decided that it's important enough in your life to give time to. Uh, you've not made that decision. And so that's on you, right? You, you could decide tomorrow that reading with in, uh, intention and consistency is important enough that you're going to schedule it. Until you're willing to do that, you're not likely to uh, make it happen. Now, having said all that, if a reading habit is not something you currently practice and focusing for the length of time that, that reading might require you to focus is something you know you're going to struggle with. There's a couple of things you can do, and I'll end with this. First of all, you can be very intentional 
about your environment. I'm in an office right now, my, my office where I record my podcast, and over my left shoulder is a reading chair. I've got a dedicated, I don't always read from that chair, but I've got a dedicated place where I can go to read. I've got a, a lap desk that sits across the arms of that chair. I can set the book down, a pad of paper next to me to take notes. Very comfortable. I can close the door of the room. I can put on noise canceling headphones as long as my wife knows first that I have those on. Yeah. And, and, important, and, and, important step. yeah, very, yes, I learned the hard way. That's, that's important. Uh, and so, uh, that really helps me to focus. I'll set a timer and, you know, for 25 minutes and then take a five minute break or 50 minutes and take a 10 minute break. Um, and that's super helpful for making, um, the most of, of that time. So I would I would start there. There was something else I was going to say related to that that I've or that's already left my mind because I'm 55 now and those kinds of things. <laughs> uh, but that's that's a great first place to start. It's just being really intentional about your environment and 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 ensuring that this time you've set aside and scheduled to read is actually going to likely be successful because you're treating it with the with the respect uh, that it deserves, so to speak. And I believe it's your book. I don't have my notes in front of me because I tossed them off the camera way over here. So I couldn't <laughs> grab and look at it. But I think it's in your book. And I was actually just telling somebody this, I mean, less than 24 hours ago, because, you know, they're getting all these different requests. And I believe it's your book that says no is a complete sentence, right? Like you're allowed to just say no. You didn't need to justify why you can't do that other thing. You're choosing to do something else and you tell somebody else no. Am I giving you uh, appropriate credit? Yeah, and I'm certainly not the first uh, to say that, but uh, but yes, that is in our book. And what happens is when you follow that no with um, you know reasons, you give the person you're saying no to something to poke holes into, or uh, something uh, they can uh, uh, set aside and discount. If you just say no you're not giving them any additional ammunition with which to work to try to to try to squeeze twist your arm right. into into saying yes and so that's why no oftentimes needs to be a complete sentence what you're doing with that time maybe it's just sitting down and reading a book that's nobody's business but yours you know if you don't want to share that you don't have to share that it's okay to just say no um and and not feel like you've you've got to justify that to anybody yeah, if you were having a colonoscopy, you wouldn't be like, well, I can try to squeeze you in, like maybe between or when the, you know, anesthesia is wearing <laughs> off, right? Like, you know, set it right. and, and protect it. So, well, I'm going to do yeah. one thing, uh, one more thing, Jeff, uh, before uh, we wrap up. So this is like an, a little bit of inside uh, podcast. So I know from being a guest on Jeff's mm -hmm. show, Jeff is ultra prepared, right? He talked about he reads the book. He sends you over questions in advance. And I try to do the same thing, right? Like I have follow-up questions, but these questions I sent over to Jeff. So Jeff, I do have a surprise final question for you that I haven't sent you. Now I'm doing okay. this. I'm not putting, I guess I'm putting you on the spot. I was going to rationalize it and say I'm not, but it's not like a bad <laughs> thing. But uh, so, but I want to get your top of mind response. This is why it's a surprise. So I've mm. told you before, I've connected on LinkedIn with dozens of authors who have been guests on your show. And, you know, I, all I have to say is, hey, I'm a mutual friend of Jeff Brown. We've both been on the Read to Lead podcast. And almost every person not just says accept, but they reply, he's a great guy, great to work with. He's a pro, oh. nice guy. He's fantastic. And so I'm curious. I want to get your top of mind response. What do you do to generate really widespread affinity and enthusiasm in others, <laughs> right? Like we business leaders, we're often focused on like the business outcomes, but it seems like you consistently attain like 
off the charts positive emotional outcomes, you know, compared to the hundreds and thousands of people that I deal with, like you're in the top 1% mm -hmm. of getting that super, super positive outcome. So I'm curious, are you willing and able to share your, uh, your secret formula with us? Like what's behind that? Yeah. Oh, there's some things that are specific to the podcast interview that I that I could speak to, uh, uh, and, and I can touch on that. But I also want to make sure I speak about it in in broader terms for those who want to utilize some of the techniques outside that that environment. Uh, but I guess more, some of the more universal things that I do, whether it's podcast or otherwise, is 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 I I've showed that I value that person's work. Uh, in the case of the podcast, I'm, that means reading the book. I, the, one of the things that many of these authors tell me, and you may have even been one of them, you know, it's it's refreshing to sit down with somebody who's actually read the books. And just last week, my 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 400th interview was somebody who said, um, or actually their their assistant who who didn't realize I'd interviewed them three times previously, who emailed me and said, "Hey, so and so just wants to make sure you're going to read the book first before the interview." And I was like, <laughs> "Yep, that's something that I do." And that was obvious yeah. to me that 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 person, that that leader, that author, has done their share of interviews where that didn't happen. And so, in a broader sense, what I'm saying is, um, uh, show uh, uh, interest in other people, right? Uh, show that you value their work. If, if uh, I'll flip them down on the other side, if, if you're going to be the, a guest on a podcast, let's say, um, or, or any kind of meeting where you're coming together with somebody, really, but uh, we'll stick with a podcast example. Uh, you might want to listen to a few of their of their podcast episodes before coming on their show. You made that easy for me by sending me a link to the podcast, right? That's something a lot of podcast hosts uh, could learn from to make it super simple. Um, and so uh, it's it's about to me, one of the big things I learned in radio, my broadcast career with regard to the listeners was respecting their time. And so when I sit down with one of these leaders who might otherwise charge someone, you know, thousands of dollars to have a 45 minute conversation, right? In the context of a podcast, many leaders will do that for you for free. Uh, but regardless of the scenario, I want to make sure that they walk away from that transaction, that interaction, feeling like, their time was well spent, that I came prepared. Um, uh, think about someone you might want to learn from who's agreed to meet with you for a few minutes. You better go in there with questions to ask, you know, uh, uh, whether that's something you're going to publish in, in the context of like a podcast or it's just for your own edification. You better go in there ready. You better, you're not, you're not going to ask somebody to lunch um, for advice and then sit down with them and just, you know, put your chin in your hands and, you know, widen your eyes and say, okay, speak, start talking. You know, you're going to have <laughs> questions or at least you should Yeah. and make, make good use of that person's time. So be prepared. You know, I learned that as a scout, as a young boy, as a Cub Scout, <laughs> always be prepared and just really uh, show that you've done your due diligence. You've done your homework. You're bringing your A game and that's going to prompt that person to go, oh, what, you know what, Jeff, Jim, they're bringing their A game. I better make sure that I'm on my toes and bring my A game as well. And again, I'll go back to sort of the, the, the podcast uh, process for me, because that's the world I live in for, for so, so often. Uh, and this can be applied to other scenarios, certainly, is one of the things we podcasters hope that every guest will do is share the episode once it goes live, you know, tell their tribe about it, and maybe introduce us to some other people that we maybe should, should interview. And that's something most podcasters will ask that guest to do, share the episode, and who else do you know that I should talk to? Well, I find when you do these things that I'm talking about, and again, this can apply to other business relationships and scenarios, when I do these things I'm talking about, 
I often get those things offered to me by the guests without my having to ask because I've gone out of my way to be prepared. And in the process of that conversation, made them look good, as, as good as I can make them look uh, during that time together. And if you do those th things, then people are going to want to reciprocate. It's just natural. It's just part of you know, psychology of being human <laughs> beings. They're going to want to naturally reciprocate and return the favor to you. And I'm smiling as you say that because I have a handful of people who will like and comment and share, you know, my social media stuff. If they're mm -hmm. going to give me a call, like, how could I not pick up the phone, right? Like that clearly stands out. And to your point, you know, about valuing the work, that's what I wrote down. The work doesn't necessarily have to just be a book or a podcast. All sorts of people mm -hmm. are posting things on social media. And you could even imagine if, you know, you if someone would do this for you, a social media post saying, I read something that somebody else wrote or said, or here's a tweet or a post, I think you should mm -hmm. read it too. Like, how could that not endear you to to somebody else. And it sounds like you just do that in spades, like week after week, day after day, you're <laughs> valuing and respecting and sharing other people's work. I mean, that, that kind of mm -hmm. sounds like what you're saying, if I'm understanding it. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah. And I think sort of leapfrogging or, or springboarding from what you're, you just talked about, I, I think uh, when someone gives you advice, someone you admire, someone who's given of their time to you because you ask for, for some advice or what have you, or ask for some insight, Take that advice, put that advice into practice, then report back to that person, hopefully success that you had with regard to that advice that they gave you and why it worked and how it worked out and show that you put their advice into practice. I think that's crucial uh, for you to do, not just you know take the advice and run with it and never talk to them again, but go back to them and let them know Hey, here's what I did based on what you said. And look, here's how it turned out. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And that's, you talk about endearing yourself to someone you admire. That's a, that's a really quick way to do it. Great. And I'll also say one additional thing. This is under the Jeff is a great guy category. So Jeff <laughs> lives near Nashville where Retail Now 2021 was held. And so that was like my first time traveling in forever. And so I reached out to Jeff and I'm like, hey, can we get together for coffee? And I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania. And if somebody's from Erie, like the drive for coffee is like a 10 minute drive. I didn't realize you live how far south of Nashville, like 45 minutes, if not more. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Jeff is like, sure, I'll drive up. And I'm thinking, like, can we meet halfway? And he's like, well, you know, I'm outside of town. I'm like, man, I felt so terrible. But Jeff was like, nope, I'm going to do it. And not only did he drive up and have coffee with me, I was at the Gaylord. I'd walked a couple blocks over and he dropped me off at the front door. So Jeff, I appreciate, you know, how you valued uh, some work that I've done over the years. I appreciate the mm -hmm. ride on that day. And I really appreciate <laughs> the great ride that you took us on today. Well, it's my pleasure to do it. And these concepts we're talking about, I mean, you exemplify these these concepts. And so I had absolutely no qualms about that 45 minute drive to come have coffee with you and drop you off afterward. Uh, I, reciprocating, if you want to call it that, uh, those gestures to me was pure joy based on uh, the interactions I've had with you in the past. Well, right back at you. I, I appreciate it. Well, that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. We hope we enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSP YouTube channel and The Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate it if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcasts. My personal philosophy, the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSP blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on 
RSPA blog. Before we go, big thanks again to Jeff Brown for sharing his wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSPA marketing manager, Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point of sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.